Good morning. <clears throat> in a few moments, uh, we're going to invite you to join us in celebrating the Lord's table for all who have believed and trusted the Lord Jesus alone for your salvation. Um, if you didn't pick up the elements on your way in, please feel free to do that at this time. Uh, they're located just outside the doors in the lobby. <coughs> in Corinthians 11, 23 to 26, we read, The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Many times in the Bible, words or phrases are repeated for added emphasis. In this passage, Jesus tells us twice uh, to take communion in remembrance of him. Today, I want you to do just that. I want you to remember Jesus and what he did for you on the cross, and I want you to reflect on how that changes your life. When we remember, remember we remember that his body was literally broken for us. He was beaten and crucified for our sins and died to pay a penalty that we, penalty that we could never pay. We remember that his blood was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. We are forgiven and made righteous in his sight. In remembering that, we should reflect on what that means to us. The fact that Jesus loved us so much that he would die for us so that we could spend eternity with God, that should move us to worship and action. So let's take a few moments at this time to remember and reflect in silence. This time is between you and God. You could use this time to confess to, confess to him your sins and to ask for forgiveness. You can remember Jesus and what he did for you on the cross and how that changes your life. Thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> On the night of his arrest, Jesus took bread, and after giving thanks to God, broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Please join me in prayer. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for loving us so much that you would spare nothing, not even your son, to save us from our sins. Help us to always remember that you love and reflect on his sacrifice on our behalf. 
Give us the strength to live our lives by faith in him this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The scripture reading for today is in Luke 19, 28 to 40. I'll give you a little bit to locate that. And then I would invite you, if you're able, to stand for the reading of God's word. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage in Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples ahead, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it, just as he had told them, and as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And he said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if they were silent, the very stones would cry out. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you here today. Glad you've come to worship. I want to begin by inviting you to do an exercise with me. I think it will help us enter into today's passage. I want you to bring to mind, first of all, some of the things in your life that tend to weigh you down, kind of the burdens you bear week in and week out, the things that keep you awake at night. And it could be a lot of different things. So it may be the responsibilities that you have in your home, in your work life, in the church, in some other context. Some of you have responsibilities that honestly are overwhelming and they require a massive amount of time. That may be your burden. Or the thing that burdens you may be a sense of shame. I mean, you may just say week in and week out, I am just dripping with shame over something that I've done, over something that's been done to me. Or for you, the thing that weighs you down may be fears and anxieties about the future. When you look off into the future, you just aren't sure you're going to make it. You may not feel like you're going to make it financially or relationally or physically or even spiritually. You're just not sure you're going to make it. And so those are just samples. It could be some other thing that that weighs you down. Now, here's what I want you to do is is you keep in mind these things that tend to weigh you down do these things tend to move you toward Christ 
order, they tend to move you away from Christ. And it could be either, could be some of each. So when it comes to your responsibilities, I mean, your dominant thought may be, I have so much to do, I'm so overwhelmed, I just don't have time to press in closer to Jesus. Or you may be thinking, I am so overwhelmed, I am so burdened by my responsibilities, I have got to get close to Jesus. I mean, I I have to have the rest and the perspective and the wisdom that only he can, can give to me. Or when it comes to your shame, you may be thinking, you know, until I get rid of some of this shame, I, I, until I think differently about myself, there's no way I can really enter into the presence of Jesus. Or you may think, my shame, I am so dripping with shame, I have to get into the presence of Jesus. He's the only one who truly gets me. He's the only one who truly heals me and washes me clean of my shame. And when it comes to the future, you may think, I I am so anxious, I just can't sit still long enough to even think about Jesus and God. Or you may think, "There there are so many dangers out there There are so many troubles in everybody's life. Unless I may, if I stay, unless I stay close to Jesus, there's no way I'm going to negotiate my future. If you were burdened and weighed down today by any of these things or other things, I hope that today's message is like a, a drink of cold water on a hot day. I hope that today's passage just refreshes you and you leave here with a a new perspective that Jesus really is approachable. He really does want me to come to him and find rest for my soul. Today's passage that Jim read earlier, it talks about Jesus as the king, just like last week's passage did. And when you think of a king, typically you don't think of approachable, safe. You think of dangerous, and, and arrogant, right? But Luke tells us in this passage that Jesus is a very different kind of king. He tells us two things about Jesus as king, that if we really understand it, when we come to these hard places in our lives and when we experience these, these burdens, these weights, this will remind us Jesus is safe. Jesus is approachable. I will move toward him because that's what he wants because that's what's available. The first thing Jesus tells us, that Luke tells us about Jesus, is that Jesus is a humble king. He's a humble king. We see that in verses 19, or 28 uh, through 38. We started in Luke 9, 51, and there we saw that Jesus resolutely set his face to go to Jerusalem. Here we find in this passage, we've finally gotten to the place where Jesus is making his way into the city. Luke 19, 28, and when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples. And so he's making his way to Jerusalem. He comes to Bethany. Bethphage, and now he's at the Mount of Olives, which is right on the outskirts of Jerusalem. And as he's approaching the town, he sent these disciples ahead, verse 30, saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering, you will find a colt tied. And a colt is a young male donkey. 
And so you're going to find a, a colt, a young donkey there, on which no one has ever sat. That means it had never been ridden. This is an unbroken animal, okay? He says, untie it and bring it here. You just find a donkey and untie it. He says, well, if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. And we don't know whether or not Jesus had prearranged for this donkey to be uh, loaned out or whether he just knew that when, when this man found out Jesus is the one who wants it, he would say, absolutely. But Jesus is going to ride an unbroken donkey down the Mount of Olives, okay? D.A. Carson makes this interesting, interesting comment. He says, by, by riding this donkey, this unbroken donkey, it really reflects that he had control over all of creation. We saw it in chapter eight. Jesus had authority over the wind and the waves. We're gonna see, it's interesting to think Jesus' interaction with animals, isn't it? But here's this donkey, he's gonna ride it. And Luke doesn't mention uh, explicitly Zechariah 9.9, but when Matthew talks about this same scene, he quotes Zechariah 9.9 and says that Jesus was explicitly fulfilling this passage. And here it is. This is a, one of the Old Testament prophets that says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so by riding toward Jerusalem this way was an unmistakable way of Jesus saying, I am the king, I am righteous, I'm bringing salvation. And by riding on a donkey, I am a humble king. And so there was no way that people would miss this announcement. And so he didn't come riding on a stallion. He didn't come with an army behind him. He came riding a donkey. I am a humble king. And when you think about it, this, this type of entrance was a point of no return for Jesus. Nothing would ever be the same after this entry. You may have noticed in previous passages, there were times when Jesus did some miracle or, he, or somebody's eyes were opened and Jesus forbid them from telling people who he was. He said, tell no one about this. There's a time in, in Luke chapter nine, for example, Jesus asked the disciples, he said, who do the crowd say that I am? And uh, they said, well, some people think you're, you're John the Baptist. Some people think you're Elijah. Some people think you're another one of the prophets that's actually raised from the dead. But then Jesus asked them the question that he asks every single one of us. He said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered for everybody. He said, you are the Christ of God. And in response to that, and in the New Testament, Christ equals Messiah equals King. The Messiah and the King were the same. And in response, Jesus says this. This is Luke 9, 21. And Jesus strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Before his crucifixion and resurrection, nobody could understand the type of king that Jesus was, the type of Messiah that Jesus was. And it's really understandable because the, the Old Testament did not make clear, and it may have been intentionally vague, 
It didn't make clear that the Messiah was coming twice. He was coming first as the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, and then he's coming the second time as a conquering king. We look back in retrospect, in light of what we have in the New Testament, and it's very clear. We can see it everywhere. But at the time, it wasn't, it wasn't obvious in the first century. And so Jesus forbid his disciples from announcing he is the Messiah. But the time had come to go public and to declare, this is who I am. This is what I am going to accomplish. I am the humble king of Zechariah 9.9. 9. And so this is what we read in verses 32 through 35. <clears throat> this is what the disciples found when they went to borrow the, the cult. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the cult, its owners said to them, why are you untying the cult? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the cult, they set Jesus on it. And then in thir verse 36, something else happens that makes clear this isn't just a guy riding a donkey, okay? And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. Okay, you don't just take off your coat and spread it up on the road and let just anybody ride over it on a donkey, right? This is the way you welcome an incoming king, a king who is entering into town. You find an example of that in 2 Kings 9. Verse 37, and as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And so they were praising God for the, the, miracle, the miracles that they had seen. People had been healed. People had been delivered from demons. They'd been tormented their entire life. And so they praised him with this loud voice. First of all, a reference to Psalm 18, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And so they were naming, identifying Jesus as the king. And then in the second line, they kind of echo what the angels said at Jesus' birth, the angels uh, to the shepherds. They said, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And so here when Jesus entered into Jerusalem, initially at least, you have these multitudes of disciples and they are acknowledging, Jesus, you are the humble king of Zechariah 9.9. 9. And we have no idea if any of these same people would later shout, crucify him. But for our purposes here today, we need to see, we need to believe that Jesus is the humble king. He has come to rescue us. What I find fascinating is how the, the, the scriptures talk about the humility of Jesus. You know, the word humble and king don't normally go together, right? We tend to think of kings as proud and haughty. You keep your distance from kings for fear of saying or doing something that would be severely punished. But Jesus is not that type of king. To be sure, he is a king. He has authority. He will reign. One day, every knee will bow. But he uses his authority. He uses his power both for our good and for his glory because he's a humble king. 
And one of the fascinating things we're told about Jesus in Philippians 2 is that Jesus was humble before he became one of us. There was a time when I thought, well, Jesus became humble when he became one of us. But we're told in Philippians 2, it's an interesting conversation. Paul is talking to the Philippians and he says, I want you to have this humility of mind toward one another. Don't think merely of yourselves. Consider the, the, the needs of others as well. Even prefer them. Give preference to them. Then who does he point to as an example, someone to, Ill, Im, to imitate? Well, he points to Jesus, Philippians 2.5. He says, have this mind among yourself, yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, although he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. If Jesus were selfish, he never would have become one of us. He would not have cared enough about us to become one of us. But because he was humble. He had this mind that they were to imitate. Because he was humble in mind, he, he made that journey. He took the form of a servant. Moreover, we see in Philippians 2.8 that it was his humility that compelled him to go to the cross. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And so it was humility, it was Jesus looking out for us that compelled him to set his face to go to Jerusalem. And when he rode that donkey down the Mount of Olives uh, toward Jerusalem, he was declaring, I am the humble king and I am coming to Jerusalem to lay down my life for the sin of the world. That picture, that vision should melt our hearts and should make us think, when I'm weary, when I'm troubled, Jesus is for me. He, is, he has proven that. He is a king. He's got all authority. He's got power, all power, but he's humble. He doesn't merely look out for himself. He looks out for me. And so how can we not move toward him when we're weighed down with, with burdens and fear and shame? It's really interesting. It's rightly been pointed out that the only time when Jesus actually talks about his heart in the New Testament, the thing he points to is his humility. And if we don't believe what Jesus says about his heart, we will never be moved toward him. If we don't believe this, this will just be a religious idea. If we believe this, it will make a world of difference day in and day out. But this is his statement in Matthew 11, 28 through 30. He says, come to me, all who, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so there's a lot in those three verses. They're just packed with important truths. But for our purposes, I just want to make one connection today. You see, in verse 29, Jesus wants those who are burdened down to know this. He wants them to know this. He wants us to know this. I am gentle and lowly in heart. 
In other places, each of those terms, gentle and lowly, other places, those two terms are each translated with the word humility. And so this is what Jesus is emphasizing. If you're burdened down, you need to know, he says, I am humble at the core of my being. This is why I became one of you, because I, I didn't merely look out for my own interests, but I am looking out for your interests. I, I am for you. And so uh, Jesus invites us, come to me. But not everyone experiences Jesus as humble. Not everyone finds rest for their souls. Notice who it is. It's those who come to me. He says, you take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and then you will find rest for your soul. It's if you are a disciple of Jesus, if you actually become an apprentice, you're yoked to him, you're, you're committed to learning from him, hearing from him, that's when you experience his humility. That's when you have this deep abiding rest. This week, chances are at some point, you're gonna be overwhelmed with responsibilities or you're gonna have this wave of shame hit you in the face or you're gonna realize I am full of anxiety and fear in my heart. When that happens, notice how you respond. Just, just notice your instinct first of all. Is your, is your reflex response moving toward Jesus, toward God? Or is your reflex response either ignoring God or pulling away from God. As a simple discipline, when you notice that, that you're overwhelmed, you're burdened, you're, you're weighed down, as, a, as just a simple discipline, pause and think of Jesus, the humble king riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. And if you're a disciple of his, ask the question, Jesus, I come to you, I, I'm yoked to you. What is it you want to teach me? Chances are he'll say, I'm glad you asked. I've been waiting. I've been wanting you to ask me that question. I want you to learn patience. I want you to learn joy in the midst of suffering. I want you to learn that I am enough, that I am strong, that I am powerful in this situation. And so see what he does in your life. And if you've never come to Jesus, if you have never moved toward him, I mean, internally, I mean, you've never trusted him, you're just kind of, maybe you've gone to church your whole life, but you've never really moved toward Jesus in faith, take a risk, try it out, see what happens. Invite Jesus to show you who he is. Jesus is a humble king. The other thing, Luke, makes very clear is that Jesus is an unstoppable king. And we see that in verses 39 and 40. These verses are found only in, in Luke. The other gospel writers don't record this short interaction with the Pharisees in the crowd, but they add, add something significant to our understanding of Jesus as king. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. We've seen this throughout Luke, right? People telling Jesus what to do. It never goes well. But their, their, their comment to Jesus was, Jesus, reprimand your disciples. You can't have them saying out loud, you're the king. That, that's not right. 
to them that was blasphemous. But Jesus refuses to rebuke his disciples because he agrees with them. They had misunderstandings, of course, but they were speaking truth. He's saying, I am the king. I am blessed. I am coming in the name of the Lord. In verse 40, he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. He says, if every single one of my followers were silenced, the truth about me would still be told. Inanimate objects like stones would speak, they would cry out. In other words, this message of me will get out. It will not be silenced. Why? Because Jesus is unstoppable. Nothing would stop him. We'll see it next week very clearly. Everybody tried to stop him from becoming king, but he had set his face to go to Jerusalem and die for the sins of the people that's how he would, that was the path he would take on his path to becoming king, enthroned at the right hand of God and eventually returning. And so we actually read about creation speaking at Jesus' crucifixion. It's really fascinating. You find that, that creation reflects the spiritual realities that were happening. And so Luke tells us in chapter 23 that the last three hours that Jesus was on the cross, that there was a darkness over the whole land. We read that the sun's light failed. And so creation reflected the darkness that had descended descended on the planet at the death of its creator. Matthew tells us that when Jesus died, you ready for this? The earth shook and the rocks were split. All of creation, the sun, the clouds, The rocks cried out, the humble king who took on flesh and blood, the humble king who wept over the city of Jerusalem, the humble king who resolutely set his face to go to Jerusalem, the humble king has been crucified for the sin of the world. He was unstoppable. Nothing could keep him from accomplishing his mission to bring salvation to the world. In Romans 8, 31 and 32, Paul writes about God the Father, something that reflects the heart of Jesus, his son. This week when you are weary and burdened down, remember that because Jesus has done the greatest thing for you, namely, die for your sins, then of course he's gonna do the lesser things bearing the burdens that you should not bear, doing things for you that you cannot and should not try to do for yourself. This is what we read, Romans 8, 31 and 32. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Heavenly Father, we ask that this week, as we walk through our lives, we pray that we would recognize when we're weary, when we're burdened down, when we are are really counting on ourselves and our own strength to make our lives happen. We pray, God, that in those moments that we would remember who Jesus is, 
that we would remember that he is gentle and lowly. He's humble in heart, and he's done the greatest thing he could do for us. We thank you that he will come to our rescue, that he will be close. Teach us to draw near. Teach us to listen and learn from him, our humble king. It's in his name we pray. Amen.